the text that we're going to look at this morning, it talks about that Jesus will help us in our time of need. And the word help that we're going to look at, it means this. It means God runs to us when we need help. The text that we're going to look at this morning talks about weaknesses. It talks about times of need. Listen, I know something about almost every person in this room this morning. You're, you, you, you have a challenge that's in front of you. Maybe big, maybe small. And listen, if you don't have any challenges this morning, you should be on your knees thanking God that life is good. Because almost all of us have some kind of challenge or need this morning. Maybe you're a single person. And you've been single for a long time and you're waiting for the Lord to bring you that spouse, that godly spouse that you can partner with. And you've been waiting and trusting the Lord. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've been married for a long time. And maybe your spouse is not a believer. And maybe you're waiting and praying and going before, uh, asking the Lord that, you would, that, that, that he would turn their heart so that they might respond to the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you're an older person. You're wrestling with life and the changes, trying to figure out the balance of all of those things. Maybe you've been hit through COVID, some kind of financial crisis that's going on in your life, and you're trying to, to do this juggling of all the, the finances in your life. Some of you are facing serious health issues. I've got a list of people. Linda Heider's in the hospital. Jim Moore. I mean, we've, we've got people that are on our list that we are praying for because they're going through some really, really serious health issues. And, and maybe you're just sitting there and you've got something going on inside of you that nobody knows about. Nobody knows what's going on in the wrestling of your heart. What we have this morning in the text that we're going to look at is that people were suffering. The book of Hebrews, people were suffering. Uh, a lot of different things were going on in their lives. Um, maybe they were uh, a part of a community of faith, and they, they watched some people abandon the faith. They, they actually watched people walk away. Maybe they were in Judaism, and they went back to Judaism, kind of rejecting Christ. Uh, maybe there was some really, really bad temptation going on, and they couldn't weather the storm through the temptation, so they simply just walked away. Others were going through some really, really hard times. And maybe, maybe their friends or family members had been thrown in prison. Some people actually had their property confiscated because of their faith and their trust in Jesus. So the author to the book of Hebrews, he's writing to people who are hurting. He's writing to people who have needs. He's writing to people in their state of weakness. And what he has for them is he has some words of help. He has some words to take them to. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The text says this, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Approach the throne of grace with freedom. In other words, knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he's done in our lives actually allows us to go to his throne with confidence that he will listen and respond to us. Maybe not necessarily the way that he think, we think that he should, but he will respond to us. Hear the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in, in every, every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Verse 16, let us throw, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning and to approach the throne of grace 
not because of anything that we have done, Lord, but because of what Jesus has done for us and going to the cross, offering himself as a sacrifice, as a payment for my sin and our sin. And because of what he's done, we have ultimate access to a holy God who loves us and cares for us. And so, Father, this morning we have great confidence knowing that whatever we are experiencing this morning, whatever we are going through in life, we can come to you knowing that you will respond with grace and mercy. Father, I ask that with our Bibles open and through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us and you would encourage us this morning. And it's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. One of the things that I, I think it's important for us to remember as we approach this text is this, it, the book of Hebrews was, was written to Jewish believers. It was written to people steeped in Judaism. So what, what the author wants to do is he wants to point to the person of Jesus and says, you know, all of those sacrifices and those laws and all that stuff that you experience in Judaism, they ultimately find their fulfillment in the unique person of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what you're going through, whatever the difficulties and challenges are in life, God has grace and mercy to give to you. He wants to give you his grace, God's unmerited, undeserving favor to all of us who are in Christ. And it's something that we continue to receive, and, and you can't wear it out. It doesn't matter what you're going through, how difficult the challenge is, God's grace is available to you, and his mercy is available to you. And, and what, what the author wants to do is he wants to remind the people that no matter how difficult it is, God can meet us in that place. If you go back and, and look at chapter 4 and you reread chapter 4, there's one word that's repeated over and over and over again, and, and that's why we know it's so difficult for the people, and that word that's repeated over and over again is this word, rest. When you're going through difficult times, when you're going through hardships, when you're in need, don't we, don't we need and want rest? Don't we need help? I've got a situation it's kind of a funny thing, so I'm going to tell you it. I, I need rest from a squirrel. <laughs> I kid you not. I have a squirrel that has inhabited the soffit of our house. And he's been living there. And he's tearing the soffit of our house. We've got two holes. I've got a hole here. And I've got a hole here. And he's just basically eating his way through with a little hole. I'm sitting on my porch about two weeks ago. Enjoying the afternoon, beautiful sunny day, and I looked over at the, the downspout. The downspout comes like this, and it goes like this. And I look at the downspout, and I'm looking, and I'm going, that squirrel's laying on my downspout. <laughs> that squirrel is sunbathing at my house. <laughs> I kid you not, that's exactly, I look, I'm going, he's just sunbathing. He is in my face sunbathing at my house. And he's tearing apart. I've had to put up the sofa two or three times, boring holes in my house. Bill gave me a cage. Put the cage up for the first night. I got up in the morning and I went outside. And I look at the cage and the squirrel was in the cage. But he didn't trip the trap. All he did was ate the food and left. So I have a squirrel who thinks that I'm the person who feeds it food <laughs> weekly. Okay, so I give you that. It's, it's kind of a humorous way, but I've got to deal with that because this squirrel is tearing apart my house. He really is. And, and maybe you're in that place where you're going through something that's really, really difficult. 
And what we need from that is we need rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 talks about rest. Let me just read it. It says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen children. God promises rest not only in the future, but ultimately God promises rest now when we rest in him and who he is and what he's done for us in the unique person of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do. And so what I want to do is in Hebrews chapter 4, I want to look at this text and I want to draw two principles for us. Two principles that will help us to know how we can approach the throne of grace. The first one is this, is to hang on. And the second one is this, is to go boldly. Hang on and go boldly. Let's look at the first one in verse 14. You got to hang on. Again, he writes these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We are actually instructed to do something in this verse. It means this, to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. It means to grab on to something. I think I used this illustration not too long ago. You've, you've taken your six-year-old to the Cardinal baseball game, and you're walking out, and you, you've come down, and you're walking out at, at the bottom, and there's just this flood of people, and you're trying to navigate, and there's... There's hundreds of hundreds of people coming to you and you're trying to navigate and you grab a hold of your child because you want to hang on to them because they'll get lost. And that's what he has this, this, this concept of, of grabbing on, hanging on to their hand so that they don't get lost. And what do we do? We're to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. In other words, the faith that we profess is about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. It's about his miracles. It's about his power. It's about his words. It's, it's all about the unique person of Jesus. And we profess him. And we hold on to him. And we love him because of all that he has done for us. And we hang on to that. And we've got to hang on to that closely. What, what the author is doing here, he's giving us a warning about the possibility of letting go or the possibility of, of being released from hanging on to our profession of faith. And, and we don't know exactly what was going on here, but why would people be letting go? Why would people be walking away? Maybe there's a couple of things. Maybe they were Jewish believers, and maybe this thing about Jesus because of the persecution they're experiencing. Maybe they want to go back to Judaism. So they're, so they're walking away from their faith and they're walking back into Judaism where they find comfort and structure. Or maybe the temptations are just too big and too hard. Man, that's just living for Jesus. This is really hard. This is difficult. Bill over there has property confiscated. Susan over here has been thrown in prison. Our, our life has radically changed. They're walking away from that. There's a real issues here with people walking away and, and what the author says he said listen what I want you to do is I want you to hang on I want you to hold firmly to the faith that we profess I was in my car coming home the other day and if you're familiar with music there's a, a song by Wilson Phillips and it's called hold on for one more day hold on for one more day just hold on for one more day if you hold on for one more day you're going to be okay I talked to a gentleman who has gone through the recovery process, a drug addiction, just this past week. And I asked him, I said, what, what made you not fall back? What, what made you survive? Because a lot of people don't survive. What made you survive? And he said this, I wanted to get to midnight. If I get to midnight, that means I've gone another day. 
And they had reduced life to, I just need to get through one more day. I need to make it through one more day. And a lot of times we live that way. I just need to get through one more day. I need to survive one more day. Listen, what's so important about this text is we can hang on because of a person. Because of what Jesus has done for us. God has given us a person and what he's done for us. And when we look at the text and we look at all that Jesus has done for us, we should be able to grab on to him and to hang on to him. Because it's not a concept, it's a person and what he's done for us. What can you and I hang on to from these verses? Number one, hang on to Jesus as our mediator. Look at verse 14 again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest... Okay, so I, I get the concept of a high priest is kind of foreign to most of us. It, it's foreign to me. I'm not, I'm not into Judaism. You know, I don't know about the sacrifices and the laws. I mean, I could read some of those things, but, but we're, we're not Jewish people. We're not steeped into Judaism. So when you start talking about festivals and sacrifices and all of those kinds, it, it is a bit foreign to us. And the concept of a high priest probably is too. The closest that I know of is are people who've grown up maybe in Catholicism, and their priest is the, the person that they went to maybe for confession. They would go to the priest and they would offer their confessions. And, and then to the people to whom the author is writing to, the, the, the office of high priest was, was incredibly important to them because it, what it represented of who he is and what he represented to them. It was an important office. Moses' brother-in-law, Aaron, was the first high priest. The high priest wore an elaborate robe and he had this turban on his head. He had this, this thing on his chest where it had all the names of the, the tribes of Israel, and they also had it on his shoulder. They, they had these wonderful, beautiful jewels that had the, the names inscribed. They had this long, flowing robe with, with bells. They had a turban on top that says, Holy to the Lord. That was the high priest, and, and, and that was who represented them before God. But the most important thing about this high priest is what he did. He was a mediator. The high priest and the priest, they were all mediators. And what they would do is they would represent the people before God. And on one important day, which is still important to the Jewish people today, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, on that one important day, what he would do is he would, he would take the blood sacrifice and he would walk through. He'd go all the way through and he'd go into the Holy of Holies and he'd take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and the Shekinah glory of God would come and he represented the people and the sin of the people and the confession of the, of the, of the confession of sin before all of the people and that God would forgive them. That was an incredible act that he did to represent the sin of the people and the fact that they were forgiven. You know what we have here? We have a high priest. In comparison, we have a, a high priest and he is our mediator. He represents you and I before a holy God. And he is God himself who mediates for you and for me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Notice what Paul wrote to Timothy about this, a concept of a mediator, a go-between, if you will. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus just as sin in the Old Testament separated the people from God and they needed the high priest to go into on, on the Day of Atonement to offer that blood sacrifice, if you will, for the forgiveness of sin. We have the unique person of Jesus who's gone to us on the cross, who bore our sin, our shame on the cross so that we might have ultimately the forgiveness of sin. Jesus represents us. He's taking care of my sin. He is my mediator. And because of that, it means this, that I have immediate access to a holy God. 
who has my ear and knows exactly what's going on in my life when life is difficult. And by the way, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says this, that this Jesus, this high priest, he intercedes and he prays for us in ways that we cannot think or imagine. We hang on to the unique fact that Jesus is our mediator and he pleads our case before a holy God. But there's a second aspect that we can hang on to. In verse 14, notice what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. What does that mean that he's gone through the heavens? I think the idea is kind of parallel to the role and the responsibility of the high priest. The high priest, he would take the blood sacrifice and, and, and he would go through the temple area and then he would go into the Holy of Holies and he'd go through all of that and he would go back in there and offer the blood sacrifice. He would go through all of those here and he would offer the blood, blood sacrifice and, and the Shekinah glory of God would show up and, and they would know and recognize that God is accepting this, this sacrifice, if you will, for sins. Do you realize that Jesus priestly ministry is so much deeper and meaningful than what the high priest could have. The high priest could only go in one time of year on the day of atonement. He could go into the Holy of Holies. We have a high priest that is what? He's, he's gone through the heavens. He's gone through the clouds. He's gone through the stars. He's gone into the third realm of heaven and he resides in the very presence of God and he does that on our behalf. Remember, Jesus said the veil of the temple has been torn. The veil, that separation between humanity and God, that veil has been ripped apart because of Jesus. And now, because of what Jesus has done, we have full access to a God who loves us and cares for us. That's the Jesus, the Savior who's come to save us from our sin, who loves us and cares for us. You have immediate access to a holy God because of what Jesus has done for us. In Hebrews chapter 9, there's a contrast between the, 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 the high priest, the Jewish high priest, and Jesus. And, and let me just read this text, if you will. Notice what it says in, about the contrast between this human high priest and Jesus. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary in contrast to the human high priest. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Where did he? He entered in the very presence of God. Now, to appear for us in God's presence. Why did he do that? Because he appears in the very presence of God on your behalf, on my behalf, because of what he's done on the cross to offer forgiveness of sin. We have access to a holy God. Verse 25 says this, Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. In other words, the high priest could only go in once a year, and then they would do it the second year, the third year, the fourth year. Year after year, they would do that. Jesus offered himself as one sacrifice for sin on the cross for all time. It is a once-for-all sacrifice. And because of that, in my faith and trust in Jesus, I am counting on the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from all sin. And that gives me immediate access to a holy God. Verse 26, then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now... He has appeared once for all at the end of the age is what? To do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me ask you something. What have you done in your past? What sin is a part of your life? All of that 
It doesn't matter what you have done. All of that is taken care of by the blood of Jesus and the death on the cross. That once for all sacrifice for all times. And, and because of that, Jesus is our mediator. And because of that, we have access to a holy God for what he's done for us. Don't fall into the habit of looking back on your life and your sin and dredging up what you've done in the past. That is in the past and that is forgiven. And that's what it means that once for all sacrifice, you are forgiven of your sin. And because of that, God guarantees that we are forgiven and we have immediate access to him. So we have a mediator that we can hang on to. We have a, a God who resides in a place of power. But notice what else. He, he, he resides because of his authority. Because of uniquely who he is. Look at verse 14 again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heaven, notice how he is identified. Jesus, the Son of God. We have the human name, Jesus, the Son of God. And he is what? The Messiah. He is our high priest. And all of those other high priests from Aaron on were mere mortals. They all died. They all lived a life. They lived their lives as a, as a high priest. They went into the grave and died. This high priest went into the grave and he was resurrected three days later. And, and notice how he is identified in the Bible. He is called Jesus. At the birth of Jesus, Mary said this. It was, it was told to Mary by the angel. You will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sin. That is what the angel, I'm sorry, said to Joseph. Over and over, we are hearing about how Jesus is in his humanness. God coming to us to offer himself ultimately as a sacrifice for our sin. But not only is he the savior who would save us from our sin, but he is ultimately the son of God. Which means he's the Jewish Messiah. When you go back and look at how many times Jesus is identified with this divine heading, if you will, the Son of God, you see how it radically altered people's thinking about who he is and his title, if you will. At his birth, the angel appeared to Mary and said he would be called the Son of God, the Messiah. God when when uh, when Satan was confronting him over and over with the temptations, he, he refers to Jesus is the Son of God. The disciples, when the storm is calm, they, they confess Jesus as being the Son of God. When, when the, the de, uh, demonic beings are in the synagogue and Jesus is there teaching, they confess Jesus with the authority of the Son of God. The, the centurion, at the death of Jesus, he simply says, surely this was the Son of God, that messianic title. And so what you and I can hang on to is the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah, and he has the authority over sin. He has the authority over sickness. He has the authority over temptation. He has all of this authority wrapped up in who he is as the promised Messiah. So it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. If you're facing temptation, he can help you. If you're facing an impossible situation, he can help you. No matter what you are going through, he can help you. And I hope to know that you can hang on to that. He's a mediator. He has authority. He has power to help us. The author kind of changes now to drive on this point that we can hang on to him in verse 15 by doing something that I think is kind of unique. Look at verse 15. What can you and I hang on to? 
Verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. You know, you get contacted by people who ask you to pray for them. You don't know exactly what's going on in the circumstances. They may just say, pray for you. I mean, we get contacted, I get contacted, our office gets contacted all the time about that. And it is a, a, a great privilege to be able to pray for other people. And I don't know about you, sometimes I just feel inadequate I, because I don't know the circumstances of what a person's going through. And they may just say, would you pray for this or pray for the circumstances? We don't know all the ins and outs. We don't know the depths of, of what's going on in their lives. And sometimes it's hard to get connected with them on a heart level. I can intellectually pray for them. I can pray for them up here. But I don't necessarily know what's going on on the inside. What is so incredible about this truth is that we have a Savior, Jesus, who is able to meet us where we are. The word sympathize, it means this. It means that it's actually two words. It's with passion, with feeling. The authors combined two words. With feeling, Jesus resonates with us. No matter what we are going through, the difficulties and challenges of life, with feeling, Jesus empathizes with us in a mighty and a powerful way. He can sympathize, empathize with no matter what you are going through in life. He faced temptation. He faced hunger. He faced battles, rejection, betrayal, mocking, death on the cross. And he did all of those things as a single person. He faced incredible difficulties and challenges and weakness in his life. And what the text says, it says, we have a high priest who knows what you're going through and can feel what you're going through. Let me see if I can illustrate this. So I'm going on this trip, and I've kind of wrote some things and wrote a blog, and I've told you all about it. And I'm sharing with certain people specifically just about the trip and texting them about it. So I texted this one person, this one woman, and told them about what I was going through. And she texted me back, and she said these words in a text. Your story text uh, touched my heart. Sorry at the loss of your bother. Your text touched my heart. Sorry for the loss of your brother. And when she texted me that, I knew exactly that she was feeling the same things that I was feeling. Because this woman had lost a son to a fentanyl overdose. I knew that her heart had resonated in the same way that mine was broken. And that's what I think this text is talking about. Jesus resonates with whatever we are going through and whatever we are experiencing. And even though nobody else knows, he knows exactly what's going on. We have a fellow who sympathizes with the depth of our weaknesses in a way that nobody else can, not even a spouse can. If you have suffered extreme loss, and hurt, and pain, and suffering, you need to give that to Jesus. You need to approach the throne of grace with boldness because he will give you grace and he will give you mercy in what your time of need, whatever that may be and whatever that is that we need to give to him. Hang on because of our mediator. 
Hang on because of his authority. Hang on because of his power. Hang on because of who he is in this identity. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is in verse 16. And let me walk through this and then we'll be done. Verse 16 says this. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice what we're invited to go to. A throne of grace. Anybody ever read about Solomon's throne? How opulent and wonderful and mighty and powerful and actually how beautiful it was? He had this throne and there was lions on it and then they had six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's a lion over there and there's a lion over there and it was covered in ivory and gold. And actually in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles it talks about it, nothing like it had ever been made in any other kingdom and that was Solomon's throne. And, and what are we approaching? The throne of grace. It is a throne of grace. Not that judgment. Not condemnation. A throne of grace where God gives us his unmerited favor toward lost and hurting people because he loves us and because he cares for us. Don't we and shouldn't we go to him? Well, if this is an opportunity and an openness to approach him, Shouldn't we be storming the gates and running to him for grace and mercy in our time of need to receive this incredible gift? By the way, did you know that between 6% and 10% of gift cards go unused each year? I've got a gift card. You know, we've got a bunch of them. They get stacked in the corner over there. You never use them. Do you realize that in the United States that adds up to $3 billion of gift cards that go unused? $3 billion that go unused. Now, doesn't that seem silly to have a gift card and not use it? Doesn't it seem silly that we are invited to go to the throne of grace and we don't do it? We don't do it. We don't stop and take the time to approach the throne of grace in confidence and freedom, knowing that Jesus already knows what's going on in our lives. It is an incredible gift of grace that God gives us. No, no, it says he's going to give us what? Mercy in our time of need. Verse 16, it says this, we're going to find grace to help us. Help, again, has the idea of a mom or a dad or somebody crying out, asking for help, and somebody comes running to them. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah don't have a child. Sarah says, why don't you go sleep with Hagar? We'll run the line through there. They do. They both agree to this. And when Sarah finds out that Hagar's pregnant, it doesn't solve the issue. It makes her mad. It makes her angry. And remember what Hagar did? She ran. She ran because she was being persecuted and she was pregnant and she didn't know what to do. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, and I love this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar in a spring in the desert. She couldn't hide from God. The angel of the Lord went to her and spoke to her and brought her peace and comfort because of who God is and what he would do for her. In in Genesis chapter 16, verse 11, it says this. She knew she was going to have a child, and the angel of the Lord said this. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Wow. God knows about your misery. He knows about your pain. Knows about your suffering. Nehemiah is going before the king. He's heard about the city of Jerusalem. And, and the king looks at his face and he goes, 
something's wrong with you. I've never seen you like this before. Listen, you don't have a down face in front of the king. You're, you're not going to be a Debbie Downer in the face of a king. That'll get you in trouble. The king says, what's going on? And before he could respond, he simply prays out. He gives a short prayer to God. God, will you help me? Jonah, in the, in the belly of a giant fish, prays and cries out to the Lord. David, over and over, in the wilderness, in the cave, calling out, crying out to God. God, will you help me? Peter, walking on the water, Lord, save me. You and I are encouraged to approach the throne of grace with boldness because we have immediate access because of Jesus as our high priest. And he wants and invites us to help him no matter what we are going through and how difficult life is. What a beautiful picture of Jesus as our high priest and what he's done for us in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and being ascended to the right hand of God, where he what? Where he watches over us, and he cares for us, and he lives to intercede for us. You know, some of you are going to go to camp this week, and you're going to be a counselor at camp, and you're going to be confronted with situations that you have no idea what to do. I guarantee you on. Approach the throne of grace with boldness. Someone may come up to your life, you may get a phone call, you may, you, something may happen this week that's totally out of the blue. You're going to have this weakness, you're going to have this need. Immediately go to the throne of grace and ask and invite the Lord to help you deal with it. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. I think this is what it means, that we walk through life and we go through life and what God wants to do is God wants us to approach him and be dependent upon him. That is God's grace given to us. You know, don't forfeit God's grace by not approaching him in dependence, by approaching him, seeking his face. Hang on because of our mediator. Hang on because of Jesus' power. Hang on because of his authority. Hang on because of who he is. And go boldly before the throne of grace because he loves you and he cares for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Father, we don't deserve grace. Father, ultimately because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God and we deserve punishment. And Father, we thank you for Jesus that because of what he is and what he has done for us, you have removed the wrath of God in our lives. And there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would run to the throne of grace because of who you are and ultimately the beauty of who you are as our ultimate high priest. Father, thank you that we have immediate access to a God who loves us and cares for us and is empathetic, sympathetic to our place in life. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name.